Broadcasting live around the globe from San Antonio, deep in the heart of Texas. This is Paranormal Analytical. I'm your host, Eddie Hill, and I will be presenting reports and evidence of some of the most astonishing paranormal claims. I'm joined by my co-host, Renee Rodriguez, and our director and producer, Miguel Cantu, who'll be monitoring the chat room and phone line. We have a fantastic show for you tonight that will open your minds to the infinite possibilities to explain our universe. Get comfortable and prepare yourself for the best paranormal show in the world. This is Paranormal Analytical. Hello and welcome everybody to Paranormal Analytical. My name is Eddie Hill. I'm the host of the show. We also have my co-host Renee Rodriguez. Howdy y'all. And we also have Dylan Holiday. Hi everyone. And uh, these are my co-hosts for the show everybody, but we'd like to welcome Tom Schaefer. And he is with uh, Paranormal slash Anunnaki dash Aliens dash a little bit of everything I think. But uh, he wrote a book called T.U. And the collectors, and uh, it's a story which also has the Anunnaki built into it. So it's going to be all combined into a, a, a great little thing. And he's also part of another organization which he put together. Tom, you want to tell us what that one is? Hey, uh, yeah. Uh, first, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate this, Eddie. This is great. I haven't uh, had, haven't talked about this book or the project in a while, so it's uh, it's great to kind of do a refresh on it. And uh, two in the collectors. It's uh, it's a book I wrote. It's sci-fi. Some people have told me that it was a uh, kind of a download. They believe that I received this book as a kind of a message that I was supposed to relay. And uh, so, uh, so you I'm got happy this. to be here, man. Okay, yeah. there we go. So we got oh, this sorry, book that you wrote that you feel was uh, that maybe came down from, you know, like it was kind of downloaded to you as well. And I know you and I talked about that earlier, about how it kind of feels like when you write, how this kind of stuff just, it just flows. It just comes into your head and just kind of flows out. And uh, same thing kind of happened when I was writing on uh, the book for Anunnaki as well. So, I mean, this is something that 
I think a lot of people uh, experience, and, and even music writers for that instance, you know, for that matter. Uh, Beethoven, for one, uh, would talk about how these this music was sent from, say, the cosmos, and it was, uh, you know, he basically felt it and he heard it, and he, that's how he would write. So there's a lot of this type of, uh, I guess you could say, paranormal experiences taking place when you have either authors writing, you have musicians writing, different things like that that take place. A lot of people kind of have the same story. Uh, is that basically what you're talking about? I do not hear with that. Yeah, this to me, it's it, like you and I were talking about. It's like I, I, I went out to the net. I wanted to I, I, I give you the basically is that I wanted to write some science fiction. I didn't see any science fiction in the public space that really kind of satisfied me. And, and so I kind of challenged myself. I said, well, okay, well, can you do better? And then this idea started coming in my head. And I had just kind of like rediscovered a lot of ufology. I was working with another friend who was doing a podcast. And so I was kind of rediscovering some uh, ufological roots I had from the 90s. I was reading up on all this stuff. I was really going deep uh, back in the 90s. And then I kind of let it go. I'd been working on uh, a lot of other things and life had kind of gotten in the way of all that. And I started writing and I kind of got worried that I wasn't writing the proper style. I wasn't, uh, you know, what is, what are all the writing gods going to say if it's not written properly and uh, what, it, what the style and the structure and everything else. And this, this kind of this little thing in my head said, just write, just write, just write, just let it go. So basically, I started free streaming the book and started writing it down. And then I'd wrap around and edit it. And uh, so there are people that plan out their books and uh, get their story arcs all figured out and how this is going to go and how that's going to go. And for me, in this book, the story arcs all make sense. So before anybody says, well, you didn't plan it out enough for any of this, it was planned out. The story arcs to me actually kind of amaze me because when I look, go back and look at the story itself, I'm like, wow, I wrote that? So it was kind of a self-amazing kind of a moment that I do believe I was influenced, if you will. And I can't say specifically that I uh, somebody beamed me up or beamed down or anything like that, but I do feel that something was given to me because it was like a memory. The book is like a memory. It's like a movie I've already seen. Right. So you were basically watching this movie as you were. Does that make sense? Yeah. You were basically watching this movie like uh, in your head as you were typing. So it was just kind of like flowing very naturally to you, wasn't it? Absolutely. All the characters, everybody, I can hear their voices. I can see what they're doing. And uh, I don't know if that's normal for other writers, but that's what was happening for me. Dylan. 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 Oh, <laughs> he forgot his code. Hey, everybody, listen. We we but we were having trouble with this thing, so uh, everybody's picking up a great big echo unless they mute me. So for whatever reason, we've tried everything. So we've been working on this for hours. Oh no, Renee's rock and roll. Oh damn. Yeah. See, you're you're high five. Yeah. So okay. so we came up with these hand signals. Like Dylan is this. So if you see me doing this, that's Dylan. That way well, he knows to turn, turn, turn me on. And then Renee, okay, is rock and roll. Okay. <laughs> and then we've got Tom, who is the peace sign. 
So just so y'all know, if you see me doing all these little codes, I'm not throwing gang signs or anything like that. Okay, it's basically codes because they mute me while I'm talking. So that, uh, or I mean, when I'm not talking, they mute me when I'm not talking. So they can't hear when I want them to say something. So I've got to give them a little hand sign first and then we just go from there. Yeah, so like, um, I'm a music writer and I definitely agree with that, that sometimes when you're writing something, it feels like it's coming from... I, w- I don't know if I would say the other world, but it definitely feels like it's coming from something that is in your own head. Now, I don't know if that's because I think I'm stupid, and then anytime I do something creative, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm proud of myself. Or if maybe there is something or somebody who's giving me that little nudge of support. Tom, do you think it's something otherworldly? Well, you know, I'm, I've... Kill the mute this and straighten setting. Yes, I feel that there are divine influences, and some some people call it divine influences. Maybe it could be otherworldly. I believe that. Let me preface this a little bit. Quantum physics basically is shown in science now that pretty much anything's possible. You can that even science has shown that anything is possible, and so there could well be divine or cosmic influences sending messages to your head when you're doing music, when you're writing music, when you're in a creative mode, there could well be uh, a cosmic or divine influence coming into your head. The whole creative process, if we try to, if we try to distill life down to just scientific uh, processes, it doesn't quite satisfy. The deeper you go, the weirder it gets. Uh, it gets into randomness. It gets into cosmic influences. It gets into, uh, consciousness which science still cannot define what consciousness is now in your book how long ago did you write this book i started writing in 2013 got it done by 2014 and uh it was basically weekends and nights uh that i'd work on it and uh so a lot of the information in there i've gone back and looked at it uh precluded a lot of what's going on now so I was kind of like, this is another element that adds to this mystique of where the story came from and the elements in it, because I was not as well versed on the topics in the book as I am now. So um, can you tell us a little bit about, about your book? Just give us a, a quick synopsis, I guess. What book? Uh, your just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, just kidding. <laughs> That was good. You did that with a you straight like that? face. You, like that? you guys talking to me? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, this book, Two and the Collectors, is basically a story about a secret space program that is being run by ETs, benevolent ETs. And benevolent ETs have been directed by a galactic council to come and clean up the mess because the sum total of humanity is what? With all of our philosophies, all of our religions, all of our politics, everything that mankind is doing has added up to what? We're just about ready to blow ourselves up. If we, ha- yeah, we don't blow ourselves up, we're about ready to at least, we've pretty much trashed the planet. And so what, what's, what's headed for us in the future, if we don't change our ways, is we're on a grease sled towards self-destruction, self-annihilation. And so this in this story, these ETs are directed because they were the ones that helped spawn the human race several hundred thousand years ago in this story. And they are directed to come clean up the mess. In that process, they run into 
a uh, an Anunnaki escape ship. Now, if you understand the whole Anunnaki story, that they were here several hundred thousand years ago, uh, the idea came into my head that when they left, that they probably took some people with them, probably had some assistance or a group of slaves because got comfortable to that lifestyle, having humans do everything for you. Uh, you probably want to take a cargo boat full of them back. And so in this story, there is like an underground railroad of escapees constantly leaving the Anunnaki homeworld. And one of these escape vessels is drifting. Enter our benevolent ETs who happen to be in the area and find this drifting vessel. They rescue the occupants, the so close to 2,000 humans, and they put them on a planet that they've been terraforming for their own use. Well, we got an extra planet. These are in, this is an advanced civilization. And they said, okay, we're going to relocate these people here. So in this story, they relocate humans from the Anunnaki homeworld, which uh, is known as Nibiru. In also in this process, they make contact with Earth around the 1930s or 40s. And they begin working with scientists because they know what the timeline is going to be. And they start a long-term process towards rescuing humanity. So do you feel as though like, um, do, do, you, do you feel as though you took from other uh, stories to create this mega story? Like obviously you have pieces of Anunnaki, you have, I assume uh, pieces of like every good ET story, like the men in black. Do you feel like you just took all these components and put it into one like mega story? Well, it's one thing I noticed is that modern science fiction, uh, for me, I enjoy science fiction. Um, one of my favorite sci-fi sci series was Stargate and Stargate did a great job of as you, and I would take your term of taking and bringing everything together, wrapping it all up in a bow. They tied a lot of mythology together in the Stargate series. But Stargate kind of ended. My story takes place in kind of a present tense and the kind of the near-term the near-term present, but in a different way, in that a lot of these other science fiction uh, stories and presentations, they don't include ufology. They kind of skirt around it. Uh, in a way that is not, it doesn't connect the the, uh, the current lore the same way. This story does. And it does kind of wrap things together in a bow. But as you read the book, you find out this is, uh, this is completely different. There's nothing here that's been plagiarized from anybody else. I mean, the concepts of ET contact, uh, teleportation, replication, uh, and things like that, of course, those are in this story. Uh, higher concepts of what ETs, of how ETs might think, that's included in this story. Another key element that I talk about that you probably won't find anywhere else is the concept, what I call the liberation of replication. Now, everybody has seen Star Trek, and and, and, as, and if you have also seen this latest uh, TV show, The Orville with uh, Seth MacFarlane, you see replicators. You know, even in the old Star Trek series, uh, Mr. Kyle goes to the uh, replicator makes a bowl of hot soup. But it's never really discussed what the replicator does to society and how it impacts society and how it liberates mankind from a whole host of problems. Because if everybody has a replicator, 
What does that do to personal ownership of objects and things? What does it do to everything? What does it do to the economy? It would diminish. If you have it. a dishwasher, you're right. If you have a dishwasher-sized unit in your home that can make you anything from an from an energy from just from from energy from a, a molecular reassembly, like you could go to an, like an Amazon-like uh, site, and instead of downloading a 3D printer uh, uh, module, you down you just go to this site and send the object that you want to your replicator, and poof, you got a new pair of shoes, new pair of pants, uh, food. Uh, you need a computer, poof. Uh, within minutes, this thing is replicated in your replicator. And so things like uh, valuables and needing to steal from somebody and the concept of what is priceless and what isn't, all these things go away. In fact, I believe that society will mature beyond materialism because I think what would happen at first is you're gonna people were gonna go into kind of a replicator frenzy. Oh boy, I can make anything. And they're gonna make a lot of stuff. And then they're gonna find out, I got a pile of crap and they're gonna turn there's gonna go through a hoarding phase. And then people will grow beyond that and go, Wow, I I can have anything I want. What do I really need? And I believe that it will actually there'll be a, a kind of a maturing process. People will grow up when replication technology is available to everyone, there will be a major growth in humanity because materialism will become passe. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, your your target audience is, isn't just fans of the paranormal. Obviously, that's, like, the, the, the big thing. But really, this is just anyone that's interested in, in maybe thinking outside of the box. Oh, sure. Absolutely. That's, Absolutely. That's a really we we cool need to think thing. outside of the box. Yeah, yeah so we need to think outside of the box. That's a really cool concept that that you have to think of something like we all know ab about replicators. Like that's that is something now that you mention it. A lot of media, you know, they don't talk about that. So your 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 story tackles like almost like a dystopian type future because of this no. simple creation. No, 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 exact opposite. We've all been taught that the word utopia is a bad word. Oh, get that word out of your head. There's no such thing as utopia. That's just a dream. So within ufological and consciousness uh, communities, you're going to hear the concept of a global consciousness, of a global mindset, of how we all think as a planet. And the more that we all think a certain direction, the more it comes to pass. And so... If we can change the global mindset, instead of saying utopia is impossible and it's a pipe dream, instead of feeding dystopia, Game of Thrones, Fear of the Walking Dead, The Walking Dead, zombies, every first person shooter game you can think of, that, those are all dystopian con concepts that feed the mind, the global mind, this living in the ruins, scavenging from dumpsters, and this whole negative energy, one, one, uh, you know, uh, boom, headshot. Okay. Got, we, when we evolve out of that and we start thinking about basically falling in love with humanity again, instead of looking at our own species as something that needs to be killed off, or uh, you see what I'm saying? We need to begin to look at the human species with respect again, instead of this this global anger that Instead we've migrated trying, to 
yeah, instead of trying to live in a world where you're killing zombies and killing each other, we should try to to live in a world where, you know, we actually make the world better. No, if I we can imagine Game of Thrones. Um, I, I believe that you're, you're saying is the, the way we think as humans affect our reality. And we're, so, we're thinking so negatively all the time, we're making this stuff come to reality. And once we change that, we start thinking more positively and get away from all this negative stuff, then we actually will lift ourselves up out of this this garbage win right now. Okay, I've got a... And it's not I've, a pipe dream to think like that. I've got no, Rick Warren. Not at all. Uh, uh, I mean, there's been studies shown that if we if we all meditate as a group, we can change. We can change. Uh, we can change everything. Oh, hold on a second. Eddie's saying something here. <laughs> I love I love making hand signs. This is great. Okay, we've got Rick Warren. He's in the chat room right now, and he said uh, he said he's glad to be here. And he says, Eddie, as you wrote and developed the Anunnaki page, did you feel a spiritual uh, parallel to your? Let me open this up more. Okay, I guess it just I guess that's where it ends. But uh, I didn't feel anything spiritual. I would say, but as we were talking earlier to uh, Tom, I was explaining to Tom that. You know, when I was writing it, it was basically like the story was playing out in my head at the time it was being written. So I I could actually see the story. I could actually visualize everything. It's like I, I've seen the movie um, and it's like a remembrance of that movie coming back to me as I'm recalling what was going on scene by scene. Now, people would ask me, hey, what, what, what's going to happen next? And I would tell them I didn't know what would happen, what was going to happen next. I had no idea which way the story was going to take me. So I would literally write, you know, sit down in front of the computer, read up to where I left off and start writing. And as I wrote, the story would just play in my head and I could visualize everything. And there were sometimes I couldn't keep up with my own thoughts as far as writing because it was just going so quick. But uh, spiritually, I don't think. I, I would say it was spiritual, but it was really weird how it worked out because it was a very uh, in-depth, fascinating story that I was writing, and it was very difficult uh, to be able to keep up with the thought process. And Tom, I don't know if you were having the same trouble when you were writing yours, but uh, I think you and I were kind of on the same page as far as how the story was coming to us. Absolutely. Uh, I can totally confirm it. Uh, it's weird. I almost feel bad telling people that I didn't have people say, well, didn't you plan out? Like I said earlier, didn't you plan out your story arcs and how did this work and how did that work? And I actually got to some places in the story and I'm like, okay, where's this going? And then I would lay it down. I come back and boom, all of a sudden everything's working. And then there was some stuff that I looked at. I'm like, wow, that's really good. Did I write that? So this is where I think we kind of get that. Uh, uh, we get that moment where we go, was it a download? Was it an influence? Was it external? Because I think the ego wants to say, yeah, I'm a great writer, man. That's good stuff. You know, but I don't know that um, I don't want to. I, 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 I actually believe that there could be these external influences. So uh, I can't speak to what they actually are. But stuff like like Eddie was saying, stuff was coming to my head. I could see it like it was a movie. I can actually recall. I could see the characters. Uh, I could see them talking to each other. I could see the places they were at. So I, I, I can totally agree with what uh, what, the, what Eddie's saying. 
okay well what we need to do is we got to take a quick break and uh so we're gonna go load up with some coffee and we're going to uh well at least i am i'm gonna go get some coffee i know dylan's got probably three or four bottles of drink somewhere and uh renee i know you're wanting to take get some too so anyway we're going to be back here in just a moment i'm going to go ahead and put our coffee break uh photo up that way you know that we're still a live broadcast we're just on a quick coffee break and we'll be back in about six minutes or so so if you anybody needs to get up go take care of your stuff now and we'll meet back over here don't go away this is a great story coming up and uh we got some really cool 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 information coming for you so stay tuned everybody And we're down. So I think we did pretty good there.
And we are back live, everybody. Welcome back to Paranormal Analytical, and we have Tom Schaefer here with us with uh, Two and the Collectors, and uh, which is a book that he has out right now. And if you want it, you're going to need to go to Amazon.com, I believe, and you can get it there as well. Correct, Tom? That is correct, my friend. And uh, I guess what I want you to do right now is go into a little bit about what the book's about, you know, give everybody, maybe read them the preface to it or whatever, so maybe they can get an idea of what it is that you're trying to get out there and why you feel that this was such maybe, uh, maybe it's some sort of a spiritual type thing that caused you to write this book. That's a lot, Eddie. Um, well, not, don't, you don't need a lot. It's a really simple story, and it's, but it's epic. And I think it's every it, it's, it's big inside your head, and then you try to write it down on paper. But I do feel it's an epic enough story. When you do read it, you'll say, wow, this could really make a great movie. So I've actually been more about promoting it as a movie uh, than I have about pushing it as a book because uh, people don't read a lot these days. And so I'm actually more interested in uh, maybe working something, some kind of a deal out where this thing gets turned into a screenplay and then turned into a movie or a, uh, a TV show. I've actually got a, uh, a sequel in the works. Now, there is a spiritual component to that piece. About April, I was uh, talking with a friend who happened to have a, uh, a psychic on uh, Skype. And she said, uh, well, you know what? Uh, I want you to, uh, to talk to my friend. So they, this friend of mine introduced me to the psychic. And before the psychic could really even knew who I was, she said, um, you're telling me that you need to write the second book. And I'm like, really? Okay. And there is a sequel. So this book talks about uh, what would happen if a benevolent ET race came to help us. Now, I know that's not real popular with a lot of people right now. They say, well, there's either going to be a, a fake alien invasion uh, or there's going to be uh, the ETs are going to sit back and watch us try to evolve out of our position of uh, self-destruction. This book takes a little bit different tack and says that, well, humanity has done a pretty lousy job of trying to save itself. Uh, we're going to step in and we're going to help you out. We're going to move you along to another planet, a planet five times the size of Earth uh, that's already set up. It's a clean planet. And you're not going to be able to run things the way you ran them on Earth. In fact, we're going to be running things there. Uh, it's a benevolent uh, uh, geneocracy that's run by these ETs. But they have kind of a hands-off approach. They have a, uh, a representative from humanity that they interface with. And this guy uh, interfaces with uh, kind of regional resource managers. There's no real government per se. Because uh, you're now you're on a planet where you don't have to work. And from this planet, you can travel to other planets. So it's the beginning of the Star Trek age for humanity. But it's bootstrapped by these ETs. Because, see, Gene Roddenberry, he took everybody to Star Trek, and he skipped that three to 400 years of transition. What happened during that transition? This book kind of talks about what that moment would be like when... Uh, you know, everybody has seen that movie Independence Day or the right, series, right. you know, where these giant spacecraft show up, only that's a very bad moment for humanity. In this book, it's a happy, happy moment because these ETs are here to help. Now, they're fully aware of what will happen when ETs 
unveil themselves, or as some some have called it, the reveal. Uh, and that's what it, how it's discussed in this book. It's called the reveal. And they plan it very carefully because they realize that humanity isn't quite ready. After 60 years of telling people that UFOs, UFOlogy, and ETs is nothing but nonsense and silly stuff, they know that people are immunized against the truth of our cosmic brotherhood. So they're aware of this. And they put several safeguards in place. And the book actually talks about kind of a breakdown in society and how they actually have to step in to kind of keep things from falling apart while humanity wakes up to this new reality. And uh, so this book talks about uh, the, the upheaval uh, that occurs. It talks about um, uh, how these ETs manage all of that. Now, this ET race that comes, these people have massive spacecraft and the ability to do zero-point travel. They don't travel with rockets like you see on the Expanse with jet engines. These people travel with zero-point travel where they can jump space, very similar to Battlestar Galactica. It's one at one moment you're here, the next minute you're there. There's no traveling across thousands of year, thousands of light years. Uh, in fact, this story takes place where the planet that they're taking humanity to is 2,500 light years away. So it would take uh, just an insane amount of time to get there using mankind's uh, thousand-year-old rocket technology that uh, we're still using. Now, yeah, I wouldn't want to be the expanse technology to do that. The the rocket no. rocket burn and you have to slow down. It takes you just as long to speed up to slow down. It takes you weeks or months or years to get anywhere. That's a horrible well, way. See, to this travel. is all based on it's all based on safe science uh, because uh, the concept of warp drive and warp travel is still so far outside of what people are willing to accept. However. NASA's working on a Albuquerque drive. They, this guy named Albuquerque actually has the principle. So there is actually some development moving in that direction. Uh, there are people that believe that uh, we've had anti-gravity since the 30s. We've had uh, zero-point space travel since the 30s. That it just has not been revealed that it has been hidden. So we've been I, left with a public-facing space program. We've had, uh, we've had. I believe, I really do believe we've had uh, anti-gravity for a long time now. All the, all the UFO sightings. I believe most of them are are our, sh our ships, and some of the stuff that. Well, it's a mixture. Seen. Yeah, uh, actually, you know, I there's a good question. Have you had any UFO experience yourself? I have not had anything overt that I can point to. Uh, I have had something. Uh, I lived in Tennessee for a while. I was out in a park. And I, I may have, there's something that appeared in the sky and was gone very quickly. Uh, but I, I don't need my own personal experience to validate it. You know, if somebody's asking that too, uh, I think there's enough personal experience among people who have had abduction experiences, who've had ET contact experiences. Uh, and there is enough in the public domain of evidence that points to a cosmic brotherhood or cosmic there are other entities out there that are coming here on a regular basis. That I have no doubt. There's enough footage filmed by other people to prove that point. So, and enough well, enough wreckage that has been hidden away too. Well, how come the majority? Well, not the majority. How how come like more than half the population don't that don't believe in UFOs? Well, what's why do we not believe it? 
I, I see it as immunization. People have been immunized. It's what they call the ridicule factor. This was all spawned by the alphabet soup agencies to make people giggle. Uh, even uh, the governor of Arizona went during the uh, the big, uh, was it 2006, uh, the big uh, uh, ET event that happened over the state of Arizona, over the entire state. Oh, yes. Yeah, he the came governor out comes in an mask and, and made fun of everybody. He was told to do that. Yeah, that was the mayor. Said, I'm so sorry. I was being used as a tool. And it's that ridicule factor that keeps people giggling. Like whenever the nightly news puts on a UFO story in the re in the area, uh, they play the X-Files music and everybody yeah. giggles, kind of a nervous giggle. And then we move on to uh, sports, uh, sports and weather. And so it's been treated with this disdain from the sources that people have learned to trust. So the nightly news the you know your cnn and your big media companies have never given any credence other than kind of a distanced uh reporting that never really lends any credibility to the story in a way that uh will give people the uh, the go-ahead so if you're going to believe in any of it it's because of your own research it's because of your own experiences because you've looked at what's going on and you said okay something's going on something is going on and it's also the other fact that it's ludicrous to think that we're alone in this universe, in this galaxy, and in the galaxies that we can see around us. It's oh. ludicrous to think that we're alone. So yeah. uh, any anybody with you know any level of intelligence can look out at the night sky and say, we can't just be the only thing going on here. So what what's the benefits of, of these these groups trying to hide the, the fact that we're being visited? Why do they want to keep that from us? Because when you can explain, when you can explain how they got here, and that they've, if they gave up the fact that they've known this since the '30s, or even sooner, uh, then that also means they know how the propulsion systems work, and that means they've been hiding uh, free energy from us as well. Because these same ETs that came and visited Eisenhower, they offered free energy. They offered all kinds of things. And what did these the military industrial complex say? Yeah, we don't want that. What we want to do is we want to make spacecraft we can use for military purposes. We want the weapons. We want all the we want all the ray guns. And these ETs were uh, uh, trying to help us. And our military uh, looks like uh, Eddie's trying to get my attention here. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> real real quick, Tom. Uh, Rick Warren wrote in. He said, Tom. What is your take on Bob Lazar's reveal on reverse engineering done at Area 51? I, I think it's entirely possible. Uh, everything that, that uh, Lazar talked about uh, is uh, quite possible. It's all quite possible. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the biggest arguments has been about Element 115 not being stable. Uh, they've actually found that it can be stabilized. So. The, when that whole thing came out, uh, I guess it was 30 years ago, what science has learned since then, it's all quite possible. It's all quite believable. Uh, Area 51, all of that, it's all quite believable. It's all quite plausible. There's, there's more evidence to support that it's all quite plausible than there is to uh, deny it. I agree, and I think Does that, that answer your question, or am I? No, you're you're good. You answered it, I think, uh, pretty well. And and I have to agree with you on that because when Bob Lazar first came out and he was talking about that element, it was like twenty or twenty five years later that they finally came forward and said, "Oh, by the way, you know, we discovered a new element." Well, 
you know that that was already out there that it's been out there for a long time bob well, lazar the came, argument has been that oh it can't be stabilized we can't stabilize it to use it uh, well, well see we can't who's to say they can't they, they can't well they got here didn't they they, they can and they <laughs> have and they did and you know did. that's that's exactly you know it, it's it's one of those things you know plausible deniability you know they're gonna they're gonna do their best it's the to, arrogance yeah they're, the they're arrogance gonna do their best to try and play stupid means nobody else can that no other civilization can and they are doing it so for me uh, it's not even a. It's a no-brainer. It's it's not even. It's kind of like uh, years ago when people used to question uh, the viability, the, the whole marijuana argument. You know, years ago. Now it's the hottest thing. It, it, things, new developments come along, and all of a sudden now marijuana is a miracle drug, curing epilepsy and, and curing all kinds of problems, cancers and everything else. Mm-hmm. People are like, wow. Whereas when I was coming up in my twenties, you know, it was this illicit. Uh, uh, was this illicit drug that was going to lead everybody to hell so as we begin to learn about things uh for example they found that psilocybin mushrooms can help cure depression wow it's no longer just the domain of terence mckenna and all the crazy people now there's a therapeutic use for it so as we learn through science that not everything that used not everything's the devil not everything is um demons from outer space that there's some science involved we start to understand the science it's all quite possible. It's it's all misunderstood technology is what it is. You know, totally misunderstood Absolutely. technology. And 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 talking about the psilocybin and the mushrooms, you're falling under uh, Renee's realm here of uh, uh, of this. Uh, I guess you could say, dwelling into the spiritual world through uh, assistance, <laughs> which he's been yeah, studying. You know, he's been studying this it's from a the cheap Indians. Way of getting into it. Mm-hmm. Like uh, so, I, I've been studying a lot of shamanism. Yeah. And uh, their way to get introduced to new candidates into finding the other realm is to do psychedelic uh, psychedelic drugs. You know, that's that's their you know that's the way in. But once you start learning how to do it, you don't have to have these drugs anymore. But yeah, it's um, in doing these. Doing these 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 uh, these drugs, it's not a it's not a bad thing. It's just been demonized, like you were saying with marijuana. It's just it's not a bad thing at all. It's just um, there's groups of people that don't want us to either maybe maybe expand our brain or think differently, and they want us. They just want to keep us in one spot, keep us thinking one way. Like we talked about earlier, uh, if we think negatively this whole time, we never get to lift ourselves out of this garbage that we're in right now we're just stuck everything's evil everything's bad oh my god you can't do this you can't do that if we do that it's going to become you know the zombie apocalypse you know that's what we were talking about earlier it's it's we got to change the way we think i i agree and and if you don't change the way you think we're going to be stuck in the same rut the whole time if you don't think outside the box then you're going to be stuck where we're at forever and tom let me ask you this getting back to uh Dr. Stephen Greer and getting back to his thoughts on uh, basically the government and not, not only Stephen Greer, but, you know, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, Von Braun as well as, you know, back from the space age when he spoke about the government actually unleashing these ships that are back engineered their hours on us to try and get this full scale war going with these extraterrestrials and it's basically we're fighting amongst ourselves and not the extraterrestrials what do you think about that 
Well, this is what uh, has been referred to as the fake alien invasion. Now, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, and Greer has been talking about this, and then another guy named, um, I forget the guy's name, did the illustration of the alien reproductive ve- reproduction vehicles. Not reproductive. Right, and this was also brought up by aliens. Von Braun, well, too. Well, actually, there are people that believe that they have what are called program life forms. Now, this stuff gets pretty far-fetched, and, and I can hear the groaning. I was like, oh, for Pete's sake, please. However... Imagine a, a world in which all of these deep secrets have been hidden at the threat of a gun. There are several threats that hold these secrets. The threat of a gun, the threat of harm to your family. So we got you working at Area 51. Ah, just don't be releasing that secret because if you want your mom to die and your kids to die, go ahead and talk about it. So the threat of secrecy, the threat of death and harm or pulling somebody's pension these threats have kept all these secrets and the these these powers that are holding these secrets don't want these secrets out because they will transform society and among those secrets are these uh alien reproduction vehicles they figured out how this stuff works through the roswell crash and through several other crashes they figured it out and it's dirt simple technology uh in fact for those of you that are curious a young Russian guy figured out anti-gravity. I really believe he figured it out. There's a uh, YouTube, if you look up a young guy named Alexei, if you type in Alexei Flying Craft into, into Google, you're going to see what this guy figured out. He figured out two contra-rotating platters, magnetic platters, and he injects a Tesla coil signal into this thing, and it takes off. So... Technology has actually enabled people to start figuring stuff out for themselves. So a lot of these secrets can't be kept. However, getting back to your original point about the uh, fake alien invasion. So there is this theory that there are these uh, fleet. There is a fleet of fake alien vehicles complete with uh, crew on board that have alien costumes. And they're going to launch an attack in order to bring the world together to launch the new world order. The UN, yeah, in other words, the United uh, Nations. We're gonna save you. So it's another, uh, what do you call it, Hegelian dialect, another false flag is gonna be in this thing. Now, there are those that believe that even though they launched this thing, we have benevolent cosmic friends who are going to defeat them and shut it down. But better yet though, the exposure of this whole thing among ufologists and among people that are studying the whole topic has caused quite a bit of an awareness about the possibility of it even happening. So uh, you've got Dr. Greer and you've got others out there that uh, talk about this uh, on a regular basis. Uh, I'm on another podcast and we just spoke with a guy named Dan Willis. He was part of the 2001 Disclosure Project along with Dr. Greer. And uh, he he just uh, spoke with me recently about that. Uh, And so There are other ufologists out there. We're all trying to expose this fake alien invasion. We're trying to educate people on what the prospects are of ET contact, that there are positive entities out there, but a lot of them cannot interact with us. We're we're a toxic species to even be around for some of these people. They just can't even be around us. We're that toxic to them. Our energy, our hate and our meanness and our war and just all of it, and the low-level, uh, the low what, what people in consciousness community call low vibration thinking, the the dystopian thinking. You know, this is extremely difficult for them to be around. 
it, it is actually painful to some of them to be around. So humanity has to learn how to be nice to itself again. We've, we've got to rediscover a love for our own species. And, and you know, that's they're, what's going to help stop uh, a lot of this and will help to expose the good side of it. You know, there, there's others that have uh, written books and stuff and other articles that I've read where there are some alien species that thrive off the negativity that humans possess. And uh, basically like a bad mojo, they, they like the bad mojo and it helps them to, I guess, to, to move or to, uh, uh, to, to survive. And uh, this, uh, I'm trying to think of the guy's name, uh, David Wilcock. Uh, he was actually talking about this and he said that there are species that are out there that will actually die within a matter of days if the negativity was completely gone off this earth. Now, I don't know how true all this stuff is or how believable a lot of this stuff is, but I mean, there are so many things out there right now dealing with uh, government cover-ups with uh, back-engineered uh, spacecraft, uh, aliens, alien abductions, government being involved in that as well all the different types of ETs that are out there. Uh, there's a lot of different things that are out there and that are put on the table right now. And it's just a matter of siphoning through all of these and figuring out what's what. And, and the only way we're going to actually get that to happen is to get these ETs to, to come down and finally try and, and help humanity, which I don't even know if they're willing to do. We're so messed up. I mean, we've got so many problems here within this, within our own earth that whether they show up or not, I mean, who knows? But that's kind of like where your book goes. And it's also where the storyline for the series Anunnaki goes dealing with these ETs is that, you know, we're, we're basically on a path to destruction and we're going to kill ourselves before anything good happens, it seems like. Well, it's easy to not. Sorry, I got a meeting out there. The there is this thinking among many ufologists who will knock my book immediately. There's not going to be an ET intervention. They're not coming. I don't believe that, because I believe there's uh, there for all the ET species that we do know who say they won't because of the, their own understanding of the cosmic prime directive of non-interference. There, I believe there are others who say, um, I can't stand by and watch this happen. So as much as I can't stand by or we, our country doesn't stand by and watch certain things happen, uh, or at least we used to, uh, seems to have gotten worse in recent years. But there was, an, a, there was a, uh, some, there's something in the human nature that wants to help those that are down and out. And I think that that's a cosmic principle. And so for me... I believe that it could still happen, that there could be an, a, a positive ET intervention. Uh, I don't think that it's necessarily uh, this cosmic law that they can't. Uh, a lot of people say, well, cosmic law says that they can't. They can, uh, they can only do so much. They can only get so close. They can only do this, just a little bit of that. And we have to save ourselves. And the, uh, uh, the, the what is it, the, uh, the saviors you seek are within you. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily going to work. We may wind up. If that's the only thing that's going to save us, uh, we don't have much of a chance. So I believe that we need to uh, study things like Dr. Greer talks about. He talks about the, the CE5, uh, con Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, making contact with benevolent ETs. Uh, I think that that's something, that, uh, it's something I've been studying, something I've been uh, learning about, uh, and everybody needs to maybe at least consider it and understand what that means.
you know, some of the stuff that Dr. Greer has, has spoken about, we've uh, I've actually tried. Because when I first heard about Dr. Greer, I thought he was full of it. But um, I met a group of people uh, at a MUFON meeting, and uh, they they invited me one night to go out and uh, and, and go participate in in one of the, in one of the things they did. Is they they went to see Dr. Greer and they learned a technique about contacting ETs. So I went out there with all my gear, my camera gear, my, you know, my camcorders, my, all my photography gear. I went out there and uh, they formed a circle and they meditated. And maybe 10 minutes later, we started getting UFOs all over the place. And the way they explained it to me is that they would meditate and then they would envision themselves going up, up from their bodies leaving their bodies up into space, hover around up the uh, right above the earth, and they would call out and say, hey, if there's any UFOs, any aliens want to come see us, we're over here. Follow us, follow us, come over here. And then they would slowly bring themselves down and say, we're over here, in north right here, and we're in a North American continent. Follow us, follow us, come here, come here. And they would all bring themselves down, come down. We're over here, we're in Texas, we're over here. And they, and they go slowly to go down. We're here over San Antonio. Come follow us. And then after the meditation, we would get UFO sightings. And it, we and I went with them four, no, three times. Every single time I went out there, we had UFOs. And if this is something that Dr. Greer taught, then he has to have, at least in my eyes, he has some kind of valid validity. You know, he's he has some truth in what he's saying. I'm not sure if he's 100% truthful or he knows everything, but at least that what I've seen is that he's telling some of the truth. Maybe not all of it, but I believe him, at least most of the time. Well, I, I, I totally concur. Hey, I'm sorry, I'm going to shot in. I totally concur. The, uh, I believe, see, this kind of gets out there now, so for those of you that can't quite handle this. No, we I like out there. That, I love it. I believe it's uh, you're, you're spot on. And the thing is, is that I believe these ETs are using flawed vessels. We are all flawed vessels, just like every, uh, there are good people that go into politics. There's bad people that go into politics. They're all being used for a higher, for the higher purpose of sort of serving government. Okay, so there are good actors and bad actors in all aspects of life. And I believe these ETs are reaching out to humanity right now for anybody that wants to get involved and um, make contact and help move us in a positive direction and towards disclosure. Uh, it, that's the only way it's really going to happen. Government is not going to give us disclosure. All the uh, JFK yeah. secrets may come out, but they're still not going to give you disclosure on uh, ETs and on uh, UFOs. So, but the cool thing is, within your brain is a quantum transmitter, or it's within your heart or wherever. It's within your consciousness. There is a quantum transmitter. The science has proven actually exists quantum tubules, quantum receptors that work on a quantum level. And this quantum transmitter is what those people are using to make contact. They're transmitting their coordinates. They are doing uh, another method that I've heard is you imagine looking at Google Earth and then coming in on Google Earth to your location and basically transmitting that out into uh, the cosmos and telling uh, the Cosmic Brothers, hey, we're over here. So I heard a very similar method to what you described. So I believe it's quite possible. And I believe, though, uh, you know, Greer's probably got some warts. You know, that's fine. Uh, there is He's a human. He's not a religious leader. 
uh, he's just a guy that's had a passion for this. And um, I, I think the man is sincere. And of course, you know, there's always going to be haters. Uh, it doesn't always. really matter. There's, uh, there's always haters. We just have to ignore them. That's, so Eddie and I have been doing this for a long time. And when we first started doing this, uh, we always get negative responses. But after a while, after a while doing this, you're like, yeah, whatever. If you don't like what I'm saying, then just don't listen to me. My, my job is not to change the haters. Mike, you won't be able to. If, if, you're, if you're such a negative person, it's almost damn near impossible to change your mind. Because you won't listen. You're not going to be open-minded. I'm going to do some, say something really outrageous, and that is uh, we talked about uh, forging a utopian future. You know, young people, uh, Dylan was asking this earlier, what, what, what's in it for the young people? What kind of future do they have? Well, I think if you can get off of the first-person shooter games, if you can get off the hate, if you can get off the materialism, stop watching the Kardashians and start thinking about a positive future, start doing something to help. Uh, help the old people in your neighborhood who can't do things for themselves. Start doing what we call in the consciousness community service to others. Start finding a way to be service to others. Uh, exactly. Meditate. Get your mind off of the stupid TV. You know, watch Ancient Aliens. You got Ancient Aliens on for eight hours on Fridays. Watch that. You turn <laughs> off this this dystopian crap. This uh, uh, Walking Dead junk. Turn that stuff off. Educate your mind. Get your mind into a place of expansion and start thinking for yourself. Start, as all the uh, people say on Facebook, do the research, man. Do the research. Okay. <laughs> so that's what I, you know, start embracing science. You know, people say, well, they can't trust NASA, man. They're all liars. Well, you know what? NASA has lied to us, but they have also done scientific things. So when you toss out the baby with the bathwater and say there's no such thing as science, there's no such thing as gravity, the earth is flat, all you're doing is injecting a massive amount of confusion and stupidity into your own brain by throwing everything out. Then nothing, it's like, it's a kind of a nihilistic approach to life that there's no truth and there's no <laughs> nothing and believe nothing. It, it's, it's a dead end. So embrace science and reason, embrace logic, embrace mathematics. Uh, learn, get your brain moving, get off a of TV, stop staring at your phone, start helping people, uh, kill the road rage. Yeah, we do need to get away Go from ahead, technology. It, it's sucking our brains through our telephones. Uh, I, I'm teaching my kids to stop staring at their phones, go out into nature, be one with the trees. It sounds dumb, but it's it's perfect because if you go out there and you're, you're one with nature, you feel so much better and it's clear. Your, it clears your brain. It is it's fantastic. We are too sucked in with these dumb little gadgets. And we really it are. Is we, need, we need to take a break because uh, I work all day long with computers. And when I get home, the last thing I want to do is get another computer. I, I understand I do this show. It's technology. It's kind of – I understand yep. where I'm, I'm, what I'm saying. I'm using technology to bash technology. But we have to limit ourselves on how much we depend on these these things right here. And this is our whole world a lot of times, and we need to stop it. But we need to teach our kids this. I, I, the older older people, they're kind of kind of stuck here. But if we teach our kids not to use this so much, it's hard. It really is. It's really hard to get my kids off there. Oh, Eddie's saying something here. What do you, what's up, Eddie? Okay. 
We've got uh, another question here from uh, Rick Warren. And he says, well, actually, it's more comments. He said, a native belief of the star people is known throughout different class of and tribes or in different clans and tribes. The concepts and beliefs are such were negated by religious uh, religiously as being pagan. I guess religiously as being pagan. You know, uh, it says you reveal the reveal of these stories and beliefs are seeing a reveal. So the, basically these stories are starting to come out. And uh, he also said, uh, let's see here. He went on and he's asking if anyone has ever wrote something and actually felt a spiritual connection to the words or story being revealed. So uh, he's going into a lot of these different uh, topics as far as, you know, spirituality and, and pagans and Indians and these kind of a things. Uh, what's your take on it, Tom? Well, I think that, uh, sorry, I got to meet you. What we understand as spirituality, I, you, you really have to take, I had to do a reset. Let me just talk about my own personal experience. I was raised in religion, dabbled in religion up until about uh, uh, the early 90s. And I had to do a reset. I had to step back. And I even dabbled in atheism for a while. Uh, I had to kind of get a reset of all these indoctrinated principles in my head about what, whatever this thing God is, whatever the interpretation of God is. And I had to just kind of let it just get step back. And in stepping back and getting a reset, I was able to say, you know what? I could actually believe there is an, what some would call an infinite intelligence, the singularity, that there is something higher out there. Now, I can't define it. I can't put a name on it. But I know that there's something big out there, something bigger than we are, and that there are some elements going on with consciousness that could not that don't make sense scientifically. There is, there is more to this existence than just science, than just an accidental uh, bunch of molecules. So I do believe in consciousness. I do believe that there are some spiritual principles, but I think what organized religions have done is they've imposed perfection principles upon people that they can't attain. And if you start understanding some of these other religions, like uh, one of them that I think people should really check into is the law of one. Uh, if you go to law of one.info, read the raw material. It'll give you a whole new perspective on uh, uh, what some say could well be uh, an ET transmission of what cosmic law is and how it all goes back to one. And it talks about uh, how religion was induced. Now, according to law of one, concepts of sin and hell and a lot of this negative uh, coercive uh, spirituality were introduced by another ET race to keep us enslaved. And so if your mind's not open and all you want to believe is what you, you've held to with your holy writ, whether it be the Quran or the Bible or some writing that you bind to and that's the only truth you're going to hold to, I don't think you're getting the full picture. And I think you need to open your mind up and say, okay, uh, there, there's something bigger going on than being bound to these written texts that 
as you begin to unravel them with logic, there's a lot of illogic. The, quote, perfectly inspired word of God in the Bible, there's a lot of problems here. There's a lot of problems with its, quote, perfection. And so you've got to have your mind open. If you're so locked into certain principles um, that you your mind is closed, you know, you're depriving yourself of, of what I call, what we would all probably agree would be true spiritual growth. Uh, according to law of one, all you need to do is be 51% positive. That's all the universe is asking out of you, be 51% positive. Uh, these concepts of having to strive and be like uh, some holy being uh, were all introduced to make you feel less, to make you give you an unattainable goal. Be more like Jesus. You can never be like Jesus. He was a superpower. He was a mutant. You know, I can't be like Jesus. However, uh, there were things that Jesus said that were definitely enlightened. And from my my own opinion, and people can get mad at me if you want, but I think you can take about three pages of the Bible. That's all you really need. Part where he tells you to love one another. That's about all you really need out of the Bible. Love one another. If we could just start with that, put the whole thing on the shelf, all this other arguing people want to do about scriptures and everything else, take Take that one little good part, a couple pages right there, love one another. And what was the whole thing about, uh, what did Buddha say? What did, what did all the other teachers throughout human history have said? It's all about love. Mm-hmm. So we just focus on those elements, all this other religious nonsense and shackles that it puts on people and straitjackets it puts on people. And really it keeps them from developing uh, spiritually. It's really not freedom. It's actually a removal of um, free will when you get straightjacketed by these religious um, uh, doctrines that people tie themselves to. Well, it's it's like I've always said. It's like I've always said. I agree with you 100%. I'm sorry, Eddie, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it's like I always said, you know, whenever you deal with religion, and if you look back into the Bible, it's not that the Bible's wrong by any means it's that they didn't put everything into the bible that was supposed to go in there mankind man us people actually manipulated the bible the way they wanted it manipulated and not everything was put in there because they were trying to keep certain things from us and uh i that that's my own personal belief and you know when you've got people talking about things six thousand years before the bible was written that holds true in the Bible. That just goes to show that the Bible is real, it's true, but they didn't put everything in there. It's only like reading part of the law. You know, you only get a little piece of it, but you don't get the full thing. You don't get everything that you need to, to sit there and make decisions and judgment. It, it was actually created as a way to, uh, to control the human population. Yeah, it's a control. It's a control mechanism. If you can think about people living in an agrarian world in ancient times, and you've got these uh, governments that rule by the spear and by the sword, what are you going to take away from people who have nothing? What are you going to hold from them? They have no money. All they have is some stick furniture and some mud houses. What are you going to take from them? What can you control them with? The afterlife. If you can convince them that you have the secrets to the afterlife, and if you don't obey us, 
I happen to know somebody in the afterlife who's going to make your life miserable in the afterlife. So you control people with this, uh, with these afterlife uh, coercion. Love me, or I'll send you to hell. Yeah, and so and, and now and then you have these, and then you have sorry, eternity. You have eternity to sit there and worry about the mistakes that you've made. And that's the lie. Mm-hmm. You got it. Oh, Go ahead. So we just have to meet. Sorry, kind of we're not sure if we're talking or not. Oh, we were talking about. Uh, I'm sorry. Say it again. I got. I got the echo issue. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> say were. Say it again, Renee. Renee, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was. I was saying that when you're, when you're, we can't hear you talk. We have you on mute because of the echo, and I don't know when to stop and start talking. So go ahead, Eddie. Well, no, no, I, I was already making a point, basically saying that, you know. The way the Bible's constructed, it was done as a control thing to control the population. It, it They left things out of there that were in all these other books, such as the book of Enoch and so forth, in order to prevent people from knowing the entire truth. They wanted to keep people in the dark about certain things in order to control them. And, and like uh, Tom was saying a minute ago, you know, about controlling them with the afterlife. You know, they don't have money. They don't have food. What can you take away from? Well, you can take their soul you know basically so if we take your soul you're going to have eternity to burn in hell basically and and that's that's the big lie you know they're they're not letting you know everything that there is to know about uh what actually took place or what was in the book of enoch or about any of these extraterrestrial beings or or ets that manipulated us into the humans or people that we are today so i mean there's a lot go that goes on to that so i mean there you you have to take a lot of what the bible says which is not wrong at all it's just not the whole truth you know it was manipulated yeah, by man picture yeah it's uh it's kind of sad that we that we got to this point you know, we live in one of the most technologically advanced times. Well, maybe in this particular round, there there were other epochs of human civilization that were probably equal or greater in advancement. People talk about the Lemurian uh, era uh, and the Atlantean era, uh, where their technology was a lot of it was all crystal based. And guess what? We're now we're doing now we're rediscovering crystals and how crystals can have a life, uh, can store data. Uh, and all kinds of things with crystals. Crystals have healing power. Uh, these were concepts that were, according to these other ancient, I mean, really pre-ancient uh, cultures already had a handle on, and they wound up destroying themselves. So we've got to develop spiritually beyond the technology. We've got to really get a handle on being nice to one another. Being mean, it's really getting out of hand. You know, it's just... It just feeds on itself. People drive. It's awful. It's the driving, the road rage. It's just uh, people just got mean. We got to get we got to get nice again. We really need to learn how to be nice to one another again. It, maybe maybe we were talking about earlier. Maybe this technology is actually making us meaner and meaner since we're getting away from our uh, our roots, our our, our uh, roots away from the earth. So I talked about this in other shows. Is that as a Western society, we are so loving of our technology, we kind of forget that we're. We're part of this planet, and we don't go outside. We don't go planting our crops. We don't take care of animals. So we kind of forget, you know, that we're part of this earth, and we get disconnected. We really do physically get disconnected from this earth, and this earth is trying to say, hey, come back to me. 
you need to be part of, you know, you need to be part of me and we get away from the earth. And we like for like, we don't even walk on our, on our feet, on our bare feet, on the, on the grass anymore. We're wearing shoes. And that's a really bad thing. That we're, that's a really bad thing to do. We don't go out. We don't plant. We don't notice the weather anymore. We don't, we don't we're not attuned with the earth. I think that's the biggest thing, at least in the Western world. We're so stuck with this technology here. And we rely on everything to feed us and clothe us and everything is that we kind of like, eh, whatever earth, we can trash it, who cares? It's not a big deal, you know? It's, uh, eh, who cares? It's corporatism. It's, it's corporatism. Corporatism uh, reigns. It's the whole indoctrination of the 40-hour work week, keep people slaving, keep them on the treadmill. And then they don't have time to start to understand what it means to be reconnected with nature. Uh, they don't have respect for nature. Uh, plants and animals just become objects that they can mistreat. Uh, and there's there's no respect for nature. They, they'll take that weekend hike, but tra- leave trash at the river, you know. The, this disc, like you said, this disconnect from nature, uh, it's, it was abhorrent to a lot of the early, uh, to, to, the, to the way the colonists appeared to the uh, native tribes when, they, when, we, when our, my ancestors came to this country and uh, started imposing its will on the native peoples. Uh, they couldn't figure out, why do you need so much wood to make a fire? And they, they would make these the Indians would make these nice little fires out of just a few sticks and, and, and a beautiful fire that would last a long time. And they'd see, you know, these big white men fires, you know, <laughs> you've got this, this, this wastefulness that has been endemic in our culture for hundreds of years now that it's because smoke means progress and we can just take the resources and just, 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 you know, strip mine, just rip that mountain out. Uh, so much, you know. Let's just run a pipeline. Just who cares? Uh, oh, it's not gonna. It's gonna be not gonna be any problem, you know. And yet they leak. These pipelines leak, cause economic or ecological damage, uh, all in the name of corporatism, and advancing money, money, these money. corporate profits. It is. It's awful. It's awful. It's, yeah, it's it, it is awful. We, uh, we we're killing we're killing our own planet. We're killing this little beautiful ball that we're that we're all, we're all traveling on. We kind of forget we're all space travelers. We're stuck on this giant spaceship, right. and people and we're trashing that. it, and we're killing our spaceship, and when we're literally awful. killing it, and then you well, know, you know, it gets it gets it gets right. back to my concept of replication. But see, replication won't happen until we have the energy problems figured out. Figured out. We also we have the technology for replication already, from according to what some people say. But that will take energy, and if we use this current model of big grid style power management that we have right now it's just going to exacerbate the problem that where everybody's going to have replicator addiction as much as they have their cell phone addiction so it's going to come it's going to take a new discipline for people to understand what free energy means in an independent uh, power systems where your own house has its own power supply it has its own independent power supply and your replicator is powered by its own power supply each everything is kind of an independent uh and he's trying to get my attention here. Yeah, I was going to say that we already have we already have that power supply here on Earth. We have that already. And the problem is, is that the government is not releasing that because of all the people who have got their hands in deep pockets. And right. they're not going to release that energy to us unless we force the issue or somebody 
can come out again because what they've been doing is stealing keys to the patent office, number one, buying people out that's designed and built these systems. So what we need is somebody to come forth with a system and just go public immediately and and be well, out are. there and be out there to where no one can sit there and say, oh, well, we're going to buy that from you before it gets out. No, that's not the case. It's not going to happen this time. You've already, you know, dictated what you're going to be doing and, and the use of uh, all this uh, dirty energy because people have, you know, hands in deep pockets, all the petroleum fuel and what have you. But we have the capabilities already to have power supplies that could power our homes, our vehicles, everything that we have and not cost us a dime. But that's why they won't let it out because it's not going to cost us anything. They don't want free energy. They don't want any type of energy out there that the people are going to have to, uh, that, that the people can have and not pay for. You know, this is stuff that they just keep uh, holding from us and keeping us from, uh, from getting. Uh, Rick Warren also says, uh, we are becoming uh, disassociated from one another to the point of accepting artificial intelligence. And uh, I have to agree with them there on that. And that is another uh, issue that a lot of people have spoke about and about this uh, artificial intelligence. And I'm trying to see if I can get that over here as well um, as being our reality. So, yeah, so he, he's basically saying that we're becoming so dissociated with uh, each other that we're accepting artificial intelligence as a means of... Uh, as a means of companionship and you see that a lot now as far as being able to buy these life-size dolls you know you got <laughs> dolls for men the dolls VR for women sense. yeah and i mean before they used to show up you know and they had the you know very uh, rounded mouth i guess you could say and now you know the, all that kind of stuff moves and you know they they can even talk to you and even have an argument with you as well so i mean you're getting all this stuff out here where people are becoming more or less used to the stuff that we weren't used to before you know yeah, and, i noticed a trend mm -hmm. and this ahead. is a very subtle trend yeah as go you're ahead. driving down the road look at how that look at the new cars now you're gonna people are gonna say he's nuts look at your older cars there is a face to every car look at your older cars they have a hat they almost have a smile the radiator almost has a kind of a smile to it and what are all the new cars these new cars have they have this angry face. Everybody wants the badass vehicle, and they all have this angry look. They got to have the black tires, and there's a there's an angriness to the vehicles. And so, as people have become disassociated from one another, now they're in these boxes rolling down the road. They just look angry with the smoke glass and the. And I know maybe people think I'm just you know talking out of my ass here on this, but I really think that this is part of that social conditioning that. Uh, it's kind of feeding into it, this meanness, this overall societal meanness to one another. Go ahead, Renee. No, I thought you were going to say something. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, no. <laughs> you know, it, it's it. It really makes it tough when we can't really uh, yeah, this, listen to each other. This whole thing is messing us up. I got to get this thing fixed for next time around. This is crazy. But uh, Mike, if you're listening. Need you over here to fix this thing because it's just not working out. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of craziness that we're we're dealing with now, where we're getting used to things, and it's just like uh, you know, 
all these people, you know, well, you know, they, I heard the other day that somebody said there was like, uh, uh, I think six or nine different uh, uh, sexual orientations you can be now, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's either your boy or your girl, you know, I, I mean, we, we grew up like that, you know, but now we're being shown all these different things and we're having to accept them and it's becoming part of our our society. And, you know, you got to wonder in the long run, what's, what is that going to do to our society? Well, I'll tell you something. We, we need to disconnect from some of what I, these are kind of what, these are uh, worthless arguments. For example, a, a lot of what we were talking about earlier about religion and some of these things are being put on us to, to matter that don't matter. It's, and it's what I call the bag of rocks uh, thing. It's like another little, imagine a nice five-pound bag of gravel that you strap to your waist and you run out of room on your belt and then you've got more rocks you strap into your back. Some of these arguments are what I call a bag of rocks that I don't need to carry. I don't need to care whether same-sex people marry. I don't care. Why do I have to care? Why does that have to matter? Why does it matter to me whether somebody's trans or not? Why do I have to care? What does that mean? They, they're not affecting me. You know, the religious people say, oh, it's the downfall of society. Well, I wouldn't say Maybe it's, it's the, the change of society, but yeah. it's necessarily the downfall. I w I, and I'm sure that to some people, you're like you were saying, I'm not trying to disrespect them. You've got a certain way of thinking, but to immediately assume the worst, these are bags of rocks I don't have to carry. It's a, something I don't have to think about. It's an argument I just don't have to think about. I just don't care. I decided I don't care what sex somebody is. I don't care what color they are. I just don't care. I, honestly, I stopped caring. It's like, I'm going to judge you on the merits. If you're a road rager, I don't care. You know, I don't care if you're green, white, black, or purple. You're a road rager. That's hate. If you're uh, a racist, it doesn't matter what color you are if you're a racist. Okay? But I don't care about your sexual orientation. I don't care if you who you marry. I don't want to know. I just don't care. I don't have... Why do I need to care about any of that stuff? Well, you know, and, and I'm I, I'm with you on that as far as that goes. But the one thing I do care about, and I'm going to tell you why, is this bathroom issue. You know, I've got a seven-year-old little girl. Do you honestly think I'm going to let a man go in there? <laughs> you know, it's just not going to happen. You know, not while she's going to the restroom. You know, I don't care what he says he is. Anybody can say whatever they want. You know, so as far as the rest of it goes, no, I don't care. But, you know, I'm not going to let my daughter sit there and be in the restroom and then some guy that wants to be a girl for the day or whatever walk in there with her. You know, that's just not going to happen. Real simple solution to that. What's that? We need to stop making bathrooms the way we're making them. You know, I, uh, in fact, uh, there's a veterans facility not far from me. And what do they do? You walk down this one hallway and it's nothing but a row of private bathrooms. Then they're, they're only one person can go in them. The idea that we have to have these bathrooms with, you know, the 20 people can go into at once. And then you got your problem. If you just make a bathroom like the good old days where it's just one person, one yep. customer, go in. you don't have to worry about yeah. anybody go, going in there. Go in, lock the door. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> problem solved. But yeah, that that's the, oh, that's so the only issue I have with all that, you know, and, and like people say, you know, well, you know, why you sit there and guard the bathroom door? Is it because no one's going in while she's in there? You know, end of story. 
you know it's oh, i think we got way off topic there we did and and but you know what but it all boils down to change you know it all boils down to what we're changing into what's going on with the with the world and what's being done to to better the the environment and better the earth and not only that but we've got all these you know topics on ets and everything trying to help us well you know we got to help ourselves we have to want to help ourselves as well you know because i have a feeling that that's going to make a big difference as far as what goes on with the rest of this planet you know when we're long gone what kind of world are we leaving to keep richards right exactly what kind of world are we leaving you know no that was a joke that's about him no, no, I understand, but I'm just saying that, though. I mean, what what kind of world are we going to leave behind? I mean, it, right now right. we're in charge. What's going to be in charge, or who's going to be in charge after we're gone? Well, that's why we, that's why they teach their kids to think for themselves and and to change the way that we're thinking right now. We have to change. Right. Uh, I teach my kids to think for themselves, and even even if I'm doing something dumb, they call me on my BS. I want them to do that. Actually, they've done it a couple times. Which, it's kind of funny because I kind of get upset and then I think about it I'm like, no, I told you to do that and you're doing that, which is great. A lot of people find it disrespectful, but uh, you have to teach your kids. You have to teach them to to, to not be like it's. it's I know it's a term now. It's sheeple. You can't follow the. You can't follow the crowd. You can't follow the herd. You can't do that now. Right. You, should, you shouldn't do that anyways. You think for yourself. Well, what we're gonna do real quick though. Uh, we're gonna. Uh, stop right here and we're going to play a little bit of music and we're going to come back as soon as the music's over in about five minutes and uh, continue onward and we're going to get back on track <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk more about Tom's book and uh, where you can get it and the websites that he has and so that you can get on here and actually look at some of this stuff for yourself and uh, Tom I want you to talk a little bit more about your book when we get back so if everybody would just uh, stay tuned we'll be right back with you Tells you more than you knew before 
And we are back live, everybody. Welcome back to Paranormal Analytical. We have uh, Tom here with us, and we're talking about his book. And Tom, you want to go into that a little bit more and give him the website? Okay, I don't know what happened here. Let me see. My mic was muted. Oh, okay. There we go. Yeah, so uh, you want to go back and tell him a little bit about uh, your... Uh, book and where they can get it and uh some of the other websites you may have for them yeah it's i like to keep things i like to keep things simple um if you just type in two and the collectors uh dot com it'll take you over to amazon uh right to where the book i used to have a website up but it was almost like it got in the way i just said you know what i'm just going to bounce the domain straight over to the to amazon but if you go to two and the collectors, just like you see on the screen behind me here, uh, two and the collectors.com, it'll take you right to Amazon. Um, I have another website uh, called free people of the cosmos.org. Uh, and that was a 5013C that I set up as a service to others project. It's never really gotten off the ground. It's kind of fledgling. If anybody wants to get involved, you can go to free people of the cosmos.org and uh, you can find out more about it there. Uh, so that's my kind of the boots on the ground, put my mouth, put my get my place of go to action. So it's it's brand. It's only been in existence about a year. 
So I'm, I'm uh, actually looking for allies. Anybody that wants to dive in on that with me, you can go to the website. There's a contact form there. Uh, you can find out about what that means. Basically, the free people of the cosmos is a real simple co concept. And that uh, if you're a sentient being uh, and you believe in freedom and you believe in uh, personal sovereignty in the, within the universe, that uh, with personal sovereignty comes personal responsibility. That's uh, really a very simple concept. And it's about advancing human consciousness. Yes, we call it a space and science fellowship, advancing human consciousness. So very simple freepeopleofthecosmos.org. And where exactly can they get channel. your book? I've got some uh, ufology interviews on, uh, it's, uh, if you look up Free Cosmos on YouTube. Um, but with YouTube demonetizing lately, I haven't, uh, uh, haven't been real happy with YouTube. So. And, and where, can, where can they get your book at? Where, do you, where can they, uh, besides uh, Amazon, is there any other places they can get it? Uh, no, it's uh, print on demand. You just go to Amazon, and, and it's um, I, I, it, they they Amazon sets the price. Once in a while, it's three ninety nine, and then it goes to thirteen dollars. It depends on what kind of mood Amazon is in. But you know what? If somebody contacts me through you or through freepeopleofthecosmos.org and they want to buy a copy, I'll help them. Uh, I'll, I'll find a way. I don't have any printed myself. It's all print on demand. But uh, if somebody is, wants a copy of it. I can get you an ebook or a PDF of it. If you want to buy it from me direct, I'd be more than happy to do that. So, very awesome, very awesome. And let's talk a little bit about the Anunnaki in your book. I mean, you you have them in there, but they're not like a main part of it, right? They're they're kind of in there. Well, yeah the uh, the way the uh, the story goes, there's a. Uh, an Anunnaki component, uh, there's an Anunnaki that has decided to steal a very uh, potent weapon from Nibiru, and uh, it's uh, what they they call the destroyer of worlds, and it will actually, it's a planet killer that causes a crisis throughout the storyline in this book, and uh, it causes the entire, uh, the entire little universe of this, of the people in this book be in a, in a state of panic because they could well be destroyed by this thing. So there is this one story arc where the Anunnaki are bringing another group of uh, human slaves uh, through the kind of an underground railroad, but they also happen to bring along this, this super weapon. And so in that process, uh, people can learn about concepts of remote viewing uh, and uh, the dangers associated with this kind of this new world that humanity moves into where all the things we didn't know about or that people don't know about now when this reveal really goes big uh, the idea that you can communicate across the universe uh, is going to become rather commonplace people have to grow up with their concepts um, and the Anunnaki in this story have to grow up too so there is that component they're not very nice people Go ahead, Renee. I'm sorry, Eddie. Okay, I'm sorry, Eddie. You would say. No, I said go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, I wanted to get back to uh, to you said something earlier about the uh, the Book of Ra. Now, do you? I know, I know you said you read the book. Do you believe in the whole oneness that that we're just an illusion of this one? 
creator that were just looking into himself like the, the universe got bored and all of a sudden it's like hey i wonder what i look like and so i create life forms is that it makes as much sense it, it actually has a lot of good logical sense to it so i get scared about movements and religions or theories becoming religions and there is a there is an element to this whole law of one that makes so much sense you go wow I want to, I love this. It, it really is when you start looking at the law of one, uh, the thing that kind of scares me are people like David Wilcock who have almost turned it into a religion. So, and that's the very thing they actually talk about in the law of one is that we wanted to get this message to you people, but we don't want you to turn it into a religion. So there is actually kind of a, kind of a, uh, kind of a looseness to the law of one where they want you to kind of get it, but don't go crazy. Uh, so I am a I am a proponent where it does make a lot of sense, and there is an element. There's a side of me that says, "Yeah, I like this. It does make a lot of sense." So, and I think if you compare it to a lot of other uh, New Age philosophies, uh, I think it's one of the few that's been around since the '70s that nobody really knew about until um, recently. Uh, David Wilcox started talking it up, and if you go check it out, it's about a woman that channels an ET hive mind. Uh, and the hive mind happens to be what was once the same people that lived during the time of the Egyptians, the Ra generation. And according to this tale, this these entities all became what's called a uh, common hive oneness. They evolved up over several hundred thousand years into... Uh, or over 10,000, I forget what it is. Anyway, I'm not a total expert on it, but that these entities evolved up into kind of a oneness and that the philosophy behind it is that as we evolve up, we are evolving back to source. The yeah, singularity. The, the book is really crazy. They talk about, uh, of course, this lady starts hearing voices and they figure out if they lay her down in a certain way in a certain, you know, you have to eat and drink and lay down in a certain way at a certain time, a certain angle, she's able to receive these messages from Ra, which is, I guess, it, it, the Egyptian god Ra. And and she starts receiving all the messages and they have partners uh, that actually write down what she is saying. And there's five or six books. Well, the and, thing is, is this was a scientific attempt to contact ETs through channeling. Mm -hmm. The guy that uh, Don Elkins was trying to do a scientific approach towards ET contact through channeling. And Carla Rucker was the channel. And the interesting thing is, uh, a little side note, you mentioned that she had to be positioned a certain way. Her hair mm -hmm. had to be straightened out. Uh, by the way, the um, a lot of the native cultures, the uh, what do you call it, uh, the Indian cultures, they believe in long hair. Why? It's an antenna mechanism to connect you to psychic energy. So interesting that uh these see it's either really good sci-fi it's great sci-fi you can take it just for that just take it for good sci-fi but there's also a lot of good philosophy in it and if you want to buy into it you can and if not chalk it up to good sci-fi no it's a it's a great it's a great i'm sorry it's a great set of books i read it when i was a kid and it tripped me out that's one of the first books that i read that expanded my my way of thinking it really expanded the way, you know, you, like you, like I grew up all the same way you did. I grew up in a really religious house and 
I didn't really have those kind of books. You know, I, it wasn't really introduced to me. I just accidentally found it and I read wow. it and it blew my mind. It's one of my first, uh, you know, d- uh, dealings with the, the metaphysics, another way of thinking of reality. And it's fantastic. And uh, I think more kids should be reading stuff like this. Uh, there's not enough of this stuff out there. And I was thinking maybe well, horizons, you know, it, it does. Everybody, we need to have we need to have flexible minds. That's we we don't have enough of that. And if we read more of these trippy books, I mean that's the best way I can describe it. It's a trippy book. I think I think we all be better people. And I'm thinking maybe was, you had the same experience when you were writing your books. Maybe you were channeling something or somebody, or maybe your future self. You know, maybe your your future self, and then just coming back. You know, you're. You're, you're talking to yourself into the past to write a book. It, it's possible. In the quantum universe, it's entirely possible. I have uh, I have every comfort with that. So I think we need to broaden our horizons to be locked into. And that's even even for the people who get kind of locked into law of one. I've seen people get, get religious about law of one. That's the only way, man. It's like that starts getting me nervous again. I'm starting to get nervous. I feel like I'm back, back in the religious days. Okay, now we're fighting over the Bible, the Law of One Bible. You know, now you got your new Bible to fight over. You know, you got your new Quran to fight uh, to fight over. Uh, so I think we need to eat the meat and spit out the bones. If there's something good in there, what are, what's the essence of the Law of One? Be nice to one another, love. <laughs> okay, be cool. what's the essence so of the Bible? What did Jesus say? Love one I'll another. Can we just do that? Like that. That's every single yeah. book out there is just be cool. That's it. That's the very yeah. easy. Be cool. Love each other. Exactly. It, it sounds kind of yeah. new agey kind of thing. Love, love, love. But it's the truth. It really is. It sounds like I should be hugging a tree and, you know, being a hippie. But it's at least that's my truth. And it seems this to work. To my life works better. My life works better if I'm positive, if it's love. My, my daughter taught me this. My, my daughter told me this uh, when she was three years old. I got mad at her, and I scolded her, and she goes, Dad, you love. And I'm like, wow, that blew me away. A three-year-old told me this, and it, it just blew me away. And I tell this all the time, that the best advice I ever got in my life was from a three-year-old, my daughter. And it just still to this day, the best thing I've ever heard in my life was from her. Be love. It sounds corny. I, I know the audience out there, I talk a lot about this kind of stuff. Be. It's, it's the only religion we really need to have. Yeah, really. it really just is. Love one another. Can't we just be nice to one another? Can't we all just get along? You know, <laughs> I got into a fight with a guy that uh, uh, got another Facebook fight. Some guy's got his own radio show and he was going on about how the Beatles are part of the Illuminati. And I'm saying to myself, I don't care. I, I don't believe you, number one. And I, there's a thing called resonance. Um, evil does not resonate love. When a, a group, the Beatles says, you know, the, the love songs they sang, that resonance did not resonate with Satan. I'm sorry. It, I'm just not buying it. Okay. I'm not buying it. So uh, if something resonates with you in a positive way, whether it be the law of one or the Bible or the, the I hate to see even the Quran. I think there was some good stuff in the Quran, maybe a couple passages. But if there's something good that resonates with you and brings you in a positive direction, that's where we need to be going. 
You know, and that's that's the thing is we got it. We got to get back to that. You know, there was an old bumper sticker says visualize world peace and everybody snickers, you know, come on. But that's what we need to do. We need to visualize the world we want to go to. And that's what this book is all about. Visualizing a, a non dystopian future, saying it's OK to say the word utopia. It's OK. Go ahead and say it, everybody. Utopia. utopia. I believe that there could be a utopia. I believe that we can get along. I believe that we can save the human race. I believe that we can love one another. You know, sounds corny, but we need to do it. It, it is perfect. It's, it is it's perfect right there. I, I love that. Love and love yeah. is perfect, man. I love that. I love being loved. It's great. It, it's you know, um, it sounds. I know. Understand how it sounds. When I hear when I hear that from sometimes when I hear from other people, I'm like, oh god. And then I think about it, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm preaching the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of odd well, we talking learn, about it. We got to learn to l- listen to our gut. Oh yeah, if something that you're involved in is trashing your gut. It's just not re- what we call resonance in, in kind of the consciousness communities. We call it resonance. It's it's like a tuning fork, and if you if it doesn't ring true within you, then it's probably not good. If it's not mm. ringing positive with you. It's probably not good. These were these were sensitivities we were given as human beings to allow uh, ourselves to kind of discern right from wrong or good from bad. And we've all been taught not to listen to that. We need to start listening to that again. Follow your gut. If something you're involved in, if you're involved in a religion that's taking you down a road that makes you feel bad, you maybe need to get out of that. Find something happy. Find something. Get grounded. Get your feet in the dirt. Go to the beach. Get some sun. Get some air. Uh, get connected with nature. Uh, you know that's what we need to do. We just got we, we've got too many opportunities to get involved in negativity, or do we have plenty of opportunities to get involved in positivity? And I say we need to start looking for the positive and start looking for those kinds of things. You know, people spend more time, you know, working right toward making things better for each yeah. other. As hard and as much as we fight, I think the world would be a lot better place. You know, and it just. You know, there's so many problems throughout the world right now, and, and it's all dealing with hate and racism and everything else. You know, everybody just needs to chill, get along. We're all human beings here. Let's just make it happen. Most definitely. Uh, I see your wonder dog next to you. Yep, he, he's the it's one that the, taught me it, all that. You know, animals, uh, the animal connection is so important. They teach us. Go ahead, Tom. Well, I'm sorry, I got got connected to the echo moment here. But animals teach teach us about non-judgmental love, and that's why animals are so important to have around us. Cats and dogs they teach us about non-judgmental love. That's what we're supposed to be learning from them, and uh, or we can learn from them. And they're they're such excellent examples of of what we need to be towards each other you know if it's a good friend of mine she says i don't like humans but i love i love my animals and i understand i totally get it uh the way people treat one another um and animals are honest they're straight up honest you know uh they don't they don't lie to us they don't lie to us i got i got a couple of crazy dogs and some hamsters and it's unconditional love from these critters they they look at me like I'm the best thing ever, and it's it's 
fantastic. They're, they're, my dog's like, oh, he's home, he's home, he's home, he's home. Oh my God, I, I love you. He's home, he's home, he's home. They're so excited <laughs> to see me. Wow, it's great. It's great. Uh, it's unconditional love that they give you. Like, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm like, oh man, this is the best. I'm see, we don't have room for a dog here, but we do have a cat. And she's so honest. And there's a, there's a certain honesty about cats that uh, is just it's their Spock like nature that I love. It's the, they have a brutal honesty about them that I love as well. And they are never anything less than honest toward, towards you and what they feel <laughs> like we can't leave her out at night. We have to bring her in at night and she'll be out and it'll be twilight or just getting into evening. And maybe we forgot to bring her. It's just getting dark. We forgot to bring her in. And we'll, I, I got, got her to a point at one point where I could whistle and she would come in and then she kind of got wise to it. And, um, you know, I always give her a treat. Well, now she knows it's time to come in and you look at her through the window and you go, come on, it's time to come in. And she just turns, looks at you and then turns and looks the other way. Like, sorry, I'm enjoying this too much. <laughs> the brutal honesty. I basically have to go out there and kidnap her sometimes to get her to come in. But uh, they are, they're totally, they're to they won't lie to you. She's not lying to me at all. I don't care what you had to say. I'm staying out here. Unless you come and get me, I'm staying out. So well, yeah, Eddie's got a herd of animals in his house. Oh he's yeah, he's got raccoons yeah. and cats and dogs and I don't know what else you got living there now. <laughs> Too many animals. I've got all kinds of animals. But all right, well I tell you what, we are out of time, guys, and uh, so I guess we're gonna have to go call it quits for right now. Tom, hang out real quick. We'll be right back with you. We're going to play our ending music. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, everybody's Tom Schaefer. He was great. You know, don't forget to pick up a copy of his book. And uh, over at Amazon.com, I mean, just grab his name, grab the copy of the, or, or the name of the book as well. Go to Amazon, look it up. You'll be able to grab it there. You know, uh, help him out. You know, the man works hard as well. He needs to, you know, have a some form of income from all the work that he's put in, you know, because it's the only way he can keep going. And uh, we appreciate all the work that you're doing, Tom. Thank you so much for all that the effort and everything that you're putting forward. Thank you so much, Eddie. I appreciate it. You bet, sir. Take care. And everybody, you all take care. I'm going to play the music, and we shall catch you again next Thursday. Night, all. Good night.